Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yerdena Azband. Our daf today, Masachet Megillah, daf Kafchet, page 28. I'm going to begin on the very bottom of Kaf Zion, and I want to just mark this. We're going to see in momentarily, this is um, a lot of different cases of members of Chazal who live to longevity. And the question, of course, for each of one of them is how did they achieve that longevity? So I would like to dedicate this to the health and well-being of my grandmother. She should live and be well. She is 102. And um, I feel like the secret of her longevity is of great curiosity. Everybody's got a different theory as to why. So here in the Gemara, um, again, this is on the very bottom of Kav Zayin Abet. Rabbi Lazar ben Shamua was asked, you know, why, what were you blessed for what? What did you do that that you got your longevity? He says he never made a shortcut through the shul. We talked about this back in Masachah Brachot, right? That you that that uh, cut through the shul from one place to the other, as opposed to using it as a recognizing that it's a sacred place. So he never did that, and in the merit of that, he says he achieved longevity. Shalut um, David Here's another one, right? How did you achieve longevity? So he says, in all of his days, nobody ever got to the Beit Midrash before him, meaning he was always the first to arrive. He never said um, um, in place of a Kohen. Right, he never. Yeah, he was not a kohen. Clearly, right. He never. He never said it in the place of a kohen, and always gave it to the kohen to lead. And he never ate from a from an animal whose who had parts of the animal set aside for the kohanim. Right, before never ate from an animal where the portions were not yet set aside for the kohanim. So I want to note that these are all very concrete reasons that these you know, rabbis um, to which uh, the rabbis attributed their longevity and they're not necessarily what we might expect, right? I might expect kibbut harim, right? Honoring one's parents because that's explicit in the Torah that those, you know, if you honor your father and mother, then you will get arichai. I mean, like this, it's exactly that you will have longevity on this earth. Or, for example, Yardani, you mentioned this mitzvah a few dapam ago, like you send away the mother bird, and there too, the reward of longevity is mentioned explicitly. But that's not what's going on here. Um, okay, the Gemara goes on um, to, to it, 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 it delves into these personalities or preda and so on. And then we go, we get a little further on the daf, David Rabbi Nechunya Ben Hakana What is your secret of longevity? Amar lahem miyamai lo nitkabadti b'kolon chaveri b'lo alta almitati kilat chaveri vitran b'mamonai haiti. So he says, in all of his days, he never, um, he never um, took a step up at the expense of somebody else, and he never put somebody down to put to elevate his own his own stature. And he never um, accepted or never was suffered from somebody else's curse against him. Meaning if, if he, he says, if he ever offended somebody, then he would make sure that they would, that they would make peace by the end of the day. And so that he always went to bed with no grievance against him. And then he lastly says, and he was always open-handed, like um, not too caring about his money. Which is again, it, the Gemara then delves into what of all each one of these explanations. What does he really mean by that? Fine. 
And then we skipped down a bit. Sha'al Rabbi Kiva at Rabbi Nechunya Gadol. So now Rabbi Kiva asks, Again, what is the secret of your longevity? Atu Gavze Vaka Mahule Salik Yativ Areshi Dedikla. What happens? Um, Rabbi Nechunya had um, attendants, people who were were looking out for my guests, whatever, and they come and they started beating Rabbi Akiva, which is pretty disturbing, right? So Rabbi Akiva runs away from them and he climbs up to the top of a palm tree, and from there, Amar le Rabbi, im Amar Keves, Laman Amar Echad, Amar Lahut Midrabananhu Shavkuhu. So what happens? He says to Rabbi Nechunya, Rabbi, meaning my teacher. I have a question about this particular pasuk, a, a verse in the book of Numbers where it says, keves, meaning a lamb, instead of, and it also says one. And the verse, meaning the notes tell me that the that the verse is, Bamidbar Kavchet Dalad, chapter 28, verse 4. And Rabbi Kiv wants to know, isn't this superfluous? Isn't this a redundancy in the verse? And then once Rabbi Akiva has asked this, you know, particularly learned, um, incisive question, then Rav Nechunya says to his, his, I guess, bouncers, really, oh, he's really a clearly a young Torah scholar. Rabbi Akiva was not so young. Are you a young Torah scholar? Let him be. Meaning don't beat him up for coming to ask me this question, which, of course, is just a it's a sidebar from the question about people's longevity. But it's really a very interesting um I don't know, comment on the dynamic. I might have thought that Rabbi Akiva is already known, and apparently at this point he was not yet known. In any case, he finally answers the original question. He says, I never accepted gifts. I was never um, too rigid in... um, exacting retribution against people who have wronged me and I was and like the previous person he also was quite open-handed generous or not caring about his money and then the Gemara again goes into describing exactly what's going on here what's going on here in each of these cases in each of the um, explanations that he has given about himself and it really does seem to be that these these are all I would say character traits that um that account for generosity to another person, and that each of them then is, uh, maybe not all of them, not all of the reasons that are given, but certainly as we've gone through this, these different cases of the different personalities who have achieved longevity, it does seem to be that a certain measure of um, being willing to, what nowadays I guess we would say be mochel on one's kavod, to, to not stand on ceremony about how great one might be, um, which is particularly interesting in the context of Rav Nechunia's bouncers, but still, right, this idea of being mevater, being willing to forego something or to overlook something or to not worry about it too much uh, seems to stand all of these people in good stead. You know, we could even talk about what does it mean to be easygoing, in which case I can also, in this case, mention one of the theories about my grandmother's longevity, because definitely some people think she's quite easygoing. But I think that also part of what's going on here is... um, these are all rabbis of great stature. So to hear them say, and I was, each of them, when they say like, I was careful to get the to get the bit midrash early, but I was also careful to be generous with the money or 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 not a stickler. Um, it's a it's a very strong statement over not over again of not being too high on one's own horse or arrogance or that kind of thing. I think all of these cases um, speak to 
the character of each of these rabbis and how they kind of functioned in a world where they were not perhaps as great in their own eyes as those around them may have seen them to be. So I think that that's part of the whole story. Then the Gemara goes on, and we have Rabbi Yudan Asi asking Rabbi Yushua ben Korcha. He says, And, you know, how did you achieve longevity? He says, why are you asking me? Are you tired, are you, are you tired of me being alive? Uh, you wanna you want my long life to be cut short? Amarlo, Rebbe, Torahi Bilmoda Nitzarich. We've seen this and we will see this phrase in other cases. Reb Yudan Asi says to Reb Yehoshua ben Korcha, this is Torah and so I must learn it. Meaning whatever it is that you have done to achieve longevity is Torah in and of itself. And therefore I must also, um, you know, learn what to do. So he says, Never looked at the likeness of a wicked person. So then we get another comment on this. Dama Reb Yochan. He says, this is a statement that Rabbi Yochanan said that it's prohibited to look at somebody who's wicked, like what Elisha said to Yehoram, who was, Melch, who was the king of Israel, that he should not look at Yehoshaphat, the king of, of Yehuda, because again, this was a concern. There's a political rivalry, but also there's a concern that he was a wicked person. So, the I, I on my own here would ask, you know, is it that he never saw the wicked person, or that he never saw a person as wicked, which I think is also a, a character trait, an assessment of how do you look at that. And then, lastly, I just want to say that the Gemara here goes on to talk about Yitzchak, right? Yitzchak, the Isaac in the Torah, right? That when he was old, his eyes became dim, and so then he could not see. Meaning, and then the point is that he could look at Esav, he could look at his son, who was then considered already to be wicked. Certainly, um, according to Chazal, he was wicked. And then, but he didn't see him, right? Meaning that the idea that one should never gaze upon the face of somebody who was wicked. So then Yitzchak, his eyes were dim and he didn't have to look at the face of somebody who was wicked. So, you know, this is, again, the Gemara delves into this a bit further to try to understand what exactly was the cause of his blindness and so on. Um, but with this, I want to, uh, I'll pause. I'll hand this over to you, Ardena. I, I wanted to um, to appreciate these, the different characters, different tar- character traits that e- each of these rabbis attributes to his longevity or gives as the cause for his longevity. And again, to recognize that these are not what we might necessarily expect. And yet they kind of also make sense. I think it shows that there's like a certain uh, simplicity and humility that can go with greatness and that like it's usually often the simple acts that have the most impact. And I think that's what we sort of learn from that. I mean, many of them are exactly as you said, like, you know, the things about money or, you know, they're not things that are shocking. But when we think about sort of living a religious, dedicated, simple, humble life, what's listed here on this page aren't the things that most of us would list. And I think that's exactly what the point is. They, they make sense once you read them and learn them, but they're not what most of us would sort of list if we were to say like, you know, what, what leads to longevity. And I think the, the point with Yaakov, with this story with Yitzchak and Yaakov at the end is very interesting because I think it kind of, they need to explain it's never been well understood sort of what what was that whole focus of that relationship between Yitzchak and Esav. And so I think it's kind of the way of them sort of saying, well, 
the, his eyes being dimmed or him being blind, it was due to some sort of negative action, right? Like it wasn't good that he had that close relationship with Asaph, even though ultimately in the end, they sort of turn around and say, no, maybe it was punishment for something that Sarah did. But I, I think that's because there's a real struggle with that bond that Yitzhak and Asaph have. I think that that's certainly part of the conversation, right? Meaning there are other reasons attributed, you know, for the for his blindness, including what happened at the Akeda itself, right? Which is long before Asaph was in the story. So I don't know what Pshat is for for why he was blind. Um, but I do think that there is, you know, I think that Chazal did struggle with the fact that Yitzchak thought well of Asaph. And again, we've talked about this before, that Asaph came to represent Edom, which is Rome, and and then Christianity. And so Chazal themselves have an animosity towards Esav, the biblical character, because of where he, you know, right. what happened in his descendants. like Roman Christianity in a way. Yes, exactly. That's a, a good point to, re- to remember there. Um, I'm going to move on to the Mishnah here that's on this page. Ba'od Amar Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda also said, so we're we're on a little bit of a tangent here, but we're talking about a destroyed uh, or really more bacon asset that fell into ruin and, and can't be used anymore. And so Rabbi Yehuda's point is we can't just use it for sort of any activity that you want to use it for. So you're not allowed to give eulogies in it. You can't spread ropes out in it. You can um, spread animal traps in it, right? Th- theoretically, it would be an abandoned building, so animals maybe could be in there. Um, and you can't spread produce out upon its roof to dry. Um, and you also can't make it a shortcut. And the reason for this is they quote, right? I will bring desolation to your sanctuaries, a pasuk from Vayikra, chapter 26, verse 31. ab kishem shomamin. Right? So the fact that the word sanctuaries, right, something being kadosh, and the word shmama, which means desolation, appear together, it shows that the sanctity remains even if they're desolate. So again, do I think that's a direct learning from the pasuk? No, nah, not necessarily. But I think what Rabbi Yehud is telling us, I think, makes sense to a lot of us, right? That just, you know, once that building has maintained its, had, had you know, Kedusha to it, it sort of only, always maintains that Kedusha, right? And then they finally end with a very interesting halacha, which is that if grass sprang up, right? Like, in other words, if grass starts to grow, uh, you shouldn't pick it because of, of anguish. In other words, um, uh, you know, that it will bring people to see. In other words, it's good for people to see that it's in disrepair. Maybe they'll rebuild it. This reminds me of uh, someone did a um, photo like a uh, journalist segment on some of the old hotels and the Catskills um, that have fallen under disrepair. And you literally saw these pictures of um, like, you know, dining rooms and bedrooms and the pool area and they were like overgrown with vegetation i saw very, those i remember that. that it was like very weird to see there was something like hauntingly beautiful about it. i've also seen this with like um i don't know if you've seen pictures of the chernobyl accident they also have those like in so that i missed some of the abandoned buildings and they're like over one with vegetation and things like that it's very very weird so um 
so, you know, it sort of reminded me of that. And, and there is something just, it is distressing to see because you realize it's like a building and it's not really what's supposed to look like. It's very haunting to look at. So the Gemara here, the Mishnah here sort of mentions that. I'll just read a little bit of the, of the Gemara here. So then the Gemara goes on to sort of share a price of other things you can't do just in general in a, in a baking asset. Right? You shouldn't act with them sort of with, you know, levity or something like that. You shouldn't eat in them. You shouldn't drink at them. You shouldn't adorn oneself inside of them. Now, I don't, did you find a good explanation for exactly what that meant about adorning yourself inside of them? I didn't see a good no, explanation. No, not at no. Yeah, it, it's, it, it's an odd thing that's written here. And I didn't see anything great in any of the Mepharshim or any of the, uh, of the English ones. Uh, you know, uh, uh, sorry, I wanted to know if you came across anything uh, more interesting nothing, there. What? No, I, nothing jumped out. I'm checking again now as we're learn as we're recording, but I at the when I prepared it, nothing jumped out. Right. Um, it's, it's sort of an odd thing there. Um, also, <sighs> you can't just like wander inside of them. Like you shouldn't just like sort of show up and wander around. Right, you don't go in them to protect yourself from the sun, big shamim, shamim, or from the during when it rains from the rain. They must be deemed yachid, and you also should not have a eulogy of an individual, which is basically a private event. Um, and the truth is, we do stick to some of these things today, like that. Also, like generally, you know, some shuls do allow a spadim, some don't, but um, that's not always a typical place to have a hesped. About korim baham, right? You can read. And what they mean by here is reading like the the, the Bible in there. Vishonin by him, you can study there. Umaspidim by him has shall rab him. And you can have like a very public, meaning like for an important distinguished person, you can have a eulogy in there. Um, and then so I just want to jump in with a, yeah. just a comment on Adorn on the Neotin, right? So I just have a note here that says, and I find it a little bit difficult, but it says that the prohibition of adorning oneself inside of a shul. They cite here the Meiri, who says that it, the idea is that you don't tr- you don't treat your synagogue as your home, as a place where you would be adorning yourself. And then Rashi elsewhere, meaning a Masechet Shabbat, suggests that it's maybe from the Neutin is from Hana'ah, meaning that there's some kind of personal benefit or pleasure, and that you should not use your shul for your like own personal, personal affairs. Right. But it's a very weird phrasing in the Mishnah. And I just it's a very weird phrasing. And I just want to point out people are not entirely sure what it means. Um, and then we get Rabbi Yehuda again here, right? I'm a Rabbi Yehuda. So Rabbi Yehuda says, when does this apply? When, the cynic, when they're being used. About Bechor Batan, but if they're not being used, meaning in their state of ruin, you leave them alone, you let grass sprout out, and again, the same thing. You sort of let, uh, you know, uh, you know, you sort of let the grass grow because it causes agmas nefesh. So now the Gemara asks an interesting question. Right? Like, what grass? Like, why did this grass come up? Who was talking about grass? Why this random halacha of Rabbi Yehuda? Right? So they employ their, you know, typical chasuri mixra, meaning the brace is not complete. This is how the brace really should be read. 
So when you have a Beit Knesset, you need to sweep it and sprinkle the floor with water to make sure that grass doesn't grow. Amar Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda comes and says, When is this true? On an occupied Beit Knesset. But with a destroyed one, right? Right? When they're in the state of ruin, they should be left alone, right? And, you know, if anything sprouts out, it will sprout out. And if it does sprout out, you shouldn't remove it because you want it to cause Agman Snafesh. So it's sort of interesting how they sort of, you know, again, get to this repeat halakha, but sort of letting things look in disrepair so that you actually would sort of be forced to, um, uh, to actually repair it. And then the Gemara goes on, Rabasi comes to talk about how in Babel, actually all the Batei Knesset were built with a stipulation that they didn't sort of have the full Kiddushah of a Bay Knesset, and therefore you could still use them for other things in the community, but obviously not for Kalu Uh So, you know, it's interesting sort of where we've gone through here in this parak that now we're sort of focusing on, you know, uh, different halachot of what you can and cannot do in a Bay Knesset. I also found it interesting because it's particularly in Masachat Megillah, which is obviously talking about Purim. And I would say all of us have been to Shul, which sort of Purim becomes a very silly night. And we might see sort of Kalut Rosh or like, you know, things that we don't normally see or people behave in a way that we don't normally uh, see in a Beit Knesset. And those things do send, tends to sometimes come out on Purim itself. So I, I'm not at all saying, because I don't know that that's how Purim was celebrated in the time of the Mishnah. But it's just interesting to me that this sort of discussion appears in this particular Masachat uh, when that is a particular holiday where there is a sort of frivolity to it. Um, yes, I think that, and I think that's an interesting also connection between, you know, why are we having all this discussion about a synagogue in Masachat Megillah where it's not, you know, obviously or ostensibly um, about Purim. Right. But, and again, I have no idea that that's how it was celebrated then, but it just like struck me as a little odd. Uh, before we wrap up, just want to remind people that we have our CM coming up, God willing, in a week. So please make sure to sign up. We have a great speaker. Uh, that information is on our Facebook page. And with that, I'll wrap up. That's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hodgson website. And until tomorrow, go and learn.